Hello and welcome. I'm Alexander. And I'm Simon. We are still knee deep in tech. This is episode 54, recorded on the 1st firth of November. <laughs> I think we might have the name of this episode. 1st of 4th. 1st of 4th or 1st of November. Yeah. So 1st of November. 1st of November. All right. 2018. Is it now? It is still. It is still. Two more months. Uh-huh. Yeah. Speaking of which, time is flying. Definitely. I had this discussion with my wife yesterday and it feels like it was just a year ago since we moved into our flat. Yep. Turns out that it was five years ago. Yep. So yeah, time flies indeed. And I, I can still remember when I could hold uh, both of the kittens in one hand. Yep. Oh, not so much anymore. No. No. Certainly not. No. So what's happening in the world of IT? Oh. Deep sigh. <laughs> well, actually, we, we discussed this just prior to starting this recording that even though it's still a high pace, as it always is in, mm-hmm. in the world of IT today, there's it, it feels like Microsoft is relaxing a bit after all the huge news after Ignite. Yeah. So they are slowing down just a bit. Uh, we'll go into huge releases from both Power BI and... Uh, in tune in, in just a few minutes, but the pace in which things have been announced has, or so it seems, slowed down a bit. A bit. Uh, my feeling is that it's kind of the calm before the storm. Yep. And Amir Nets, one of the technical fellows at Microsoft and, and the guy that basically owns everything that is spelled Power BI, among other things, he tweeted the other day that November is just around the corner and it's a huge month for Power BI. The volume and magnitude of features about to be released is absolutely staggering. This is going to be the greatest Power BI update since its introduction, period. And going back to your notes from last week's episode where you said that the October release, that the news in the October release were enormous. Uh-huh. End of quote. Uh-huh. And now... A guy like that saying that this will be the greatest Power BI update since introduction. Yeah. That says a bit. Oh, yeah. Brace yourself. Yeah. Does this have any connection to the past summit? Or is it just a coincidence? No. I think it might indeed have uh, something to do with the past summit. I mean, the past summit is beginning on the 5th with the precons. I'm going to be arriving at, on the 6th. And the event begins in earnest on the 7th. Yep. And just, I think it was either last year or the year before that, SQL Server Analysis Services as an Azure, that would be the, the Azure Analysis Services, was announced. So yep. Microsoft has definitely used the past summit as, as a springboard yep. to um, release new things. and. I think it would be reasonable to think that they they are going to release the um, November update on site at Pass Summit. That would be cool. It would indeed, and especially as the the PowerFlow, no, not the PowerFlow, the data flows, the Power BI data flows has been postponed. It was supposed to have been out late October, yep. but this has been moved upwards. So we'll see when it when it um, arrives. I, I think they found some few issues with it when uh, 
they went to um, the the bigger private preview. Yep. We'll see. So yeah, it's it's going to be very very interesting. And and as you said, with the October update being such a big update, I'm kind of scared is a good word <laughs> to see what's what's going to come up of the November update. Yep. And we have a couple of other Power BI news, but let's start with the huge news item of this week. Mm-hmm. And this is even to me, uh, who doesn't know first thing about either of these players, sort of. Mm-hmm. Uh, IBM buys Red Hat for a whooping thirty-four billion dollars. Yep, that is more than petty cash. It certainly is. Um, what I first need to quote them. Mm-hmm. This is from Red Hat's press release. Right. IBM to acquire Red Hat, completely changing the cloud landscape and becoming world's number one hybrid cloud provider. Really? I believe that some people in Redmond really got their coffee in the the wrong throat at reading that. Most likely, because... Is that even a, 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 a saying you can use in English? I don't think it is, but <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure that we're, we're going to hear a few comments about that. Uh, but let's see what what does IBM have. They have the, they, the they Watson. Had, the yeah, Watson but and they, then they have a public cloud. To they be do. to be completely fair, they yeah, have yeah. a public cloud. Sure, they do. Uh, and the public cloud IBM provides is, as far as I understand it, um, you get access to the hardware itself. So basically, you can buy a part of their cloud more than buying services on top of it. Okay. If if I understand it correctly. Right. So that that's where they are. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sure they are providing services like Watson and other kinds of services and w- as Watson well. Watson is a very interesting service. Yep. But world's number one hybrid cloud provider? <laughs> Give me a break. This is kind of when, when you get the Oracle marketing people wound up. Yeah. They're, they're going to sprout so many creative views on objective reality. Yeah. And I'm sure that this is going to create the world's biggest hybrid in one respect or, or some respects maybe, but nah, I uh, I don't agree. No. But I've been known to have to be wrong. IBM is far behind both Azure and Amazon and Google when it comes to the public cloud. Sure. So that's not where they're getting the biggest hybrid cloud provider. No. There may be quite a few Red Hat servers out there. Oh, oh yeah. Perhaps even more servers in terms of numbers than Windows servers. Not um, not unreasonable. No. But still, it's not like the number one hybrid cloud provider is Microsoft. At there, the moment, I think... There, there, you... can't, there can't be anyone else that can claim that today. Hold that fault. Mm-hmm. I found another quote from the from Ginny Rometti, IBM chairman, president, and chief executive officer. IBM will become the world's number one hybrid cloud provider, which seems more reasonable, offering companies the only open cloud solution that will unlock the full value of the cloud for their businesses. Right. And now things make slightly more yep. sense. Yep. 
because you have a lot of the um, the stuff from Red Hat. Yeah. Uh, we have the Red Hat OpenStack. Yep. And of course, Red Hat OpenShift and Red Hat lots of lots and lots of stuff. Yep. Uh, but looking at the price point again, and we are in not a single way um, trained or um, to, to have any... No, we are not trained. No, we are not not we are, at all. We are not trained at all. Uh, we, we have no clue at all about what it's actually worth and how this makes business sense. Mm-hmm. But it seems like a lot of money. Sure. Then again, it's important to remember that Red Hat doesn't own any software. No. They only do support and and services. And they realized pretty early on that there is no money to be made in producing open source software. There's basically only money to be made in, in packaging it, hard work, and supporting it. So in that respect, they're actually buying something tangible as opposed to just code yeah and and thus maybe 34 billion is is a good number yeah i've i've no clue to be I'm, I'm kind of curious how much how much financial muscle does ibm have because i i do think that this is going to make a dent on their bottom line they had a revenue 2017 of 79 billion dollars but they have assets of 125 billion dollars but this must have this really put a dent in them sure uh so that that's half a year's revenue for ibm half a year there are small (laughs) small countries that make way less than this yeah yeah definitely right um Okay, but they own quite. They I didn't know that they owned PVC Consulting. Yeah, they do. Yeah, and of course Lenovo, sure, uh, and so on. Um, Three hundred eighty thousand employees. Yeah, known as IBMers. Reading from Wikipedia. A whole different kettle of fish. <laughs> Should we move on from yes, IBM and I, financial I, I news? I actually have a, a question. Yeah. And I saw the, the news that Windows Defender can run in a sandbox. What the heck does it mean? That was the worst segue ever. I know. Yeah. Uh, so it it really does mean... You know that you can now isolate or since the beginning of Windows 10 isolate credentials from the operating system by using credential guard. Yeah. You can isolate oh. edge from the operating system using uh, application control. Yeah, that's actually one of the reasons that that makes edge useful at all. That's the reason why edge is the most secure browser there is. I mean, there are so many things that are secure but still doesn't work, like Edge. But yeah, another <sighs> discussion. A completely different discussion. Uh, and Windows Defender, to be able to do what it's supposed to do, protect mm-hmm. you from malware, mm-hmm. it needs to run with really high privileges, sure. which makes it a good candidate to attack yes. and compromise. Yes. 
Therefore, we can now run the entire Windows Defender process in a sandbox, uh, making it really hard, not to say impossible, to use to access anything in the operating system. And it will probably also mean that um, that if that container, for some reason, is compromised, it should really be only be a question of destroying it and creating a new one. So by doing this, you take away one of the most critical points to attack in the Windows operating system and letting it run, do what it does best, but in a more secure environment where you have none or limited uh, ways to elevate to higher privileges in the OS itself. Okay. And again, this is probably something that only Microsoft will ever be able to do for Windows, since they are the only ones that can use Windows in this way and reaching uh, would it the be on that unreasonable to think that they would allow other antivirus vendors access to the same kind of sandbox tech just in order to increase security? Or do you think they want to keep that under wraps? That's a really good question. Because I was, I was thinking that the, the, the biggest issue is, is the sandbox itself. And that can probably clean out the Windows Defender part and just put in the processes for AVG or McAfee or whatever. Am I, am I getting it the right way or am I simplifying things? I think in theory, you're right. Okay. But that would mean that Microsoft would need to give third-party vendors access to its own source code for Windows. Oh, to be able to integrate at that level. Okay. So it's the same question like I've received for Edge. Will anyone else be able to do this? And I would say no. What about the um, the add-ins in Edge? Because I was thinking that was kind of the same issue. Or is that a published API to create add-ins for, for Edge? Kind of sidetracked, but but yeah, I, I don't interesting have, to discussion. That, I don't anyways. have a good good answer because having an API for the sandbox is kind of defeating the point. Yeah, definitely. And and I would say that look, and I'm, I'm I should be better at this. I would say, but looking at what Application Guard for Edge does, I'm not completely sure that you're able to integrate your plugins and add-ons with Edge with an application-controlled enabled web page because you can control that on a web page level. All right. So a specific site should open inside or outside of the application controls sandbox. And that sandbox can simply give the finger to any add-ons or third-party stuff. Yeah, since since you won't be able to integrate to or from that sandbox. Right, right. Uh, in, in the default configuration, you're not even able to download files inside of an application called protected web page since you can't move that file oh, from right. you have the no container access to out. The, the, yeah. Okay. Yeah. That was interesting. I had not realized just how, how tightly coupled that was. Yeah. And, Good stuff. And, and that's the integration on a really low level with the virtualization layer and the code layer of Windows. Right. So I would say that, yeah, probably. 
but from I, I would say that this isn't in any way interfering with like you could end up in an antitrust discussion mm-hmm. should Microsoft enable let everyone use this to enable a more secure Windows. Mm-hmm. But why should they? And this is this is me saying it, not Microsoft. Mm. I want to make that very clear. Uh, they have a feature which is tightly integrated with their operating system that will give their anti-malware an edge over everything else. Sure. Why should they give that away? Sure, but that discussion immediately comes down to, to um, inter- Internet Explorer. Yep. So then again, legal stuff is a mess. Interesting, um, and also as you can like you can discuss that for disk encryption as well, where Microsoft have been opening up how third-party disk encryption software can get the same ability to integrate with in-place upgrades as BitLocker does. Oh, but none, as far as I'm aware, have implemented that. Really? So that was a discussion I had with a customer yesterday, who are today using McAfee's disk encryption. Ah, and. That will be not in any way impossible to manage in a Windows as a service process. Right. But way more hard. Way harder. Yeah. Yeah. Um so it will be interesting. I, I I if you still are considering Windows Defender and the Windows Defender suite to be less secure than any other third party anti malware solution, mm-hmm. you really need to look into it again. Especially if we, you look at Windows Defender and Windows Defender AT, A, ATP. Yeah. Since Fair enough. even though ATP is fairly expensive, that solution will probably be the most the most closely integrated with Windows you can get. And probably one of the easiest to manage. Yeah, because security and, and seamless are not usually used in the same sentence. No. But that's but what this you is get seamless. For that. Yes. Yeah. That. Oh yeah. yeah. Even I say it's seamless, and then it's very seamless. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Oh, um, I saw a very interesting uh, article. At, it, it was actually on Computer World. Oh. And it's a real use, um, real world use case for a very large amount of data and and Power BI. Oh. And that's for Heathrow. I love Heathrow. It's one of my favorite airports. Yeah. And Heathrow is actually using Power BI to predict, not only visualize, but to predict passenger movements. Oh. So the example given in the um, the article is, say, for instance, that one plane is late due to weather. Yep. And previously, they had to scramble when this plane lands and 200 people come off and need to go through security, uh, not not security, but uh, passport control yep. and stuff like that. These days, they have already integrated with weather data. So yep. they know when a plane's going to be late. They know how many people are going to be on that. They know, in general, how busy is that part of the airport at any given time. When are we going to need to move staff to uh, customs and yep. border and it just works. And that's pretty cool. Yeah, and then and also that should be able to integrate with 
where does this plane come from? Sure. Should you open more self-service yes. kiosks for EU citizens? Yes. Or should you open up more customs controls for outside of EU citizens? Sure. Uh, what does this plane carry in terms of cargo? If there is any cargo. If there is any it, cargo. Yes. That makes a lot of sense. And again, you could probably even integrate this with the other services of the airport. Should you send more stuff to ensure that the toilets where this yep. plan, yeah, yeah. plane yeah. will land are clean? Should you send more stuff to the different uh, restaurants and so on where these people will move? To which other aircrafts will the these people be transferring mm. to secure that? Um, that sounds fun. It is fun. And this is exactly what data is all about. Yeah. When you take data and apply it to people yep that's when it becomes very very exciting and interesting yep and also when you start to do predictive analysis you yep. have the data and you know pretty well what the effects are of dropping an extra 200 people yep so yeah i'll, I'll i'd love to actually see this in action yep. and see how it's built and, and how it's designed yep and looking at it 200 people may not sound much when Heathrow is servicing 200,000 people per day. day but 200 people in the wrong place can create a ripple effect absolutely it's it's kind of the the butterfly effect yep you, both of us have been sitting at um skip hall yep uh, having a burger upstairs <laughs> looking down at the uh, customs uh, control uh, or yep. passport control between the uh, the terminals yep and from one moment to the other it can be absolutely desolate no people at all and then boom a whole army of people comes oh dear he just got an idea please every airport in the world steal this if you could send a notification to passengers that are required to move through customs or passport control to their flight if you can send a notification to them when it's no lines and say Okay, you don't need to pause for another 30 minutes. But currently, there are no lines. So, go. That should be highly possible to do. Sure. It's that easy. You have the data. and yep. Are you allowed to, from that point, to see if a certain passenger have passed through the passport controls? Would you be able to integrate with that? I have no idea. From a legal standpoint. The information is there as soon as you pass through the border. But from... Uh, I, I wonder who gets access to that. If if it's the country or no, if, the, air, the airlines. The airline, no, if you've passed through... Um, then it should be dead easy. Yeah, sure. If people haven't passed through the passport control and there are no lines, but wait, send no, a notification. They, yes, they do. Because they have that information... At the... At the gate. At the gate. Yep. Yes, they do. Interesting. Hmm. Could be useful. Yep. Could be useful. It's always dangerous I love this. when you have an idea. Yeah, and, and it's... I'm, I was about to say something I've said before. I hate laws. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. If we could just trust one another. Oh, yeah. <laughs> please change the subject. Talking about Windows Defender. No, um, <laughs> another thing that it has gone general availability, and it doesn't sound... Uh, very sexy, doesn't sound very much, but it is 
absolutely huge for the adoption of Power BI is that the general availability of custom and certified connectors cool. are here. That means that, say you have an ISV or you have an application that provides data and you want that data inside of Power BI. Either you can dump the data to a CSV file or Excel or whatever, and then you consume it in, in Power BI. That's one way to do it. But you can also create a custom connector that enables Power BI to connect to your data in whatever form you decide to uh, make it available. So if you want to make it available as a JSON data set, go ahead. CSV, go ahead. It doesn't matter. The, the connector does kind of the work. And the certification part of things mean that Microsoft certifies the connector as to be compatible, but it's still the um, the job of the developer to keep track of it and keep it updated. Yep. And I think um, looking at that blog post, the certified connector program, a certified connector is, and I think this is vital to, to say, it's built by the developer, mm -hmm. it's then evaluated by Microsoft and distributed by Microsoft. Yes. But it's maintained and supported by the developer. Exactly. Which makes a lot of sense, but also gives... Uh, creates a trust for that that connector. Not only it creates a trust, but it's that easy to find it. Because yep. you just click yep. get data yep. and boom, there it is. Have you heard about any of these no. I, I services? have not. No. Uh, Denodo, Dremio, Exasol, Kylie Jensen, Jethro. And, and Paxata, Teamdesk. Pax, Paxata and, and Teamdesk. No, I have no. not. I, I have not. But again, it you are seeing new connectors all the time and th there are several people in the MVP community that continuously create new connectors to yep. two things. And I, I know exactly what I would want to use this for because I have... Yeah, that was just what I was about to ask you. Which connectors would you like to see? Um, I have... Uh, I, I would like to see a connector to... Um, oh, I can't remember what the name of it was. But I was working with a client a couple of months ago where they had a very old system that they could never get rid of. So creating a custom connector there would be way simpler to uh, to work with than uh, the clutch we have today where we dump something in, into CSV and then ah, consume it. Because, ah, so there are actually two announcements. You can build custom connectors and if you like, certify them. Or is it are all custom connections certified? No. no. No, no. You can certify them if you want. Yeah. If you and, want to distribute them. Yes. And creating custom connectors is now generally available. Yeah. It's generally supported. Cool. Yep. Even I get that. Ah, there you go. No, so I, I think this is a, a very important and very cool thing. And then I, I'm going to pass. I'm going to summit. Are you going to pass? I'm going to pass. Pass out. Pass. Tap out. Pass out. Pass out. Yeah. That's the um, name for the post-pass episode. Pass out. Pass out. Oh, dear. <laughs> I'm going to have some... That's, that's the name of the official podcast of Pass Summit. Pass out. That might be the case. I see uh, a yeah. sticker. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure you do. And speaking of stickers, I'm going to bring some swag. This year I've created... Um, 
first of all, the um, SQL family. Stop. Since this is probably broadcasted in the UK, I need to say this program is supported by advertising outside of the UK. Go ahead. What did just happen? (laughs) A public announcement saying that we are advertising stuff outside of the UK. Okay. Anyhow, I'm going to be bringing SQL Family pins. Yep. Last year I did SQL Family ribbons. This year I'm going to do SQL Family pins. And if you want one, find me at, at Summit and I'll be happy to give you one. I still have some SQL Family ribbons. I still have some SQL Family wristbands. And of course we have the Needy Pin Tech wristbands and the Needy Pin Tech ribbons. I'm going to have ribbons and below s- my knees. And Needy Pin Tech stickers. And of course Needy Pin Tech stickers. Which have been really popular. They have. They have, indeed. And I'd be happy if I don't have to like them back home again. Yep. And if even more, everything works out, I'm going to have a bit of a surprise ribbon this year. Ooh. Yep. It, it, it was an idea that Adam Saxton came up with and I decided to roll with it. And uh, the credit has to go to him. But we'll see. We'll I see. just hope everything works. So follow our Arctic DBA on Twitter. Or physically. Or <laughs> follow me around. That would be happens. awesome to have 20 followers during Summit. You know, I just passed 600 followers on, on Twitter. So yep. if I have 600 people following me around, <laughs> highly uh, unlikely. I don't think that even Heathrow's data model would be able to predict <laughs> one person having 600 persons following that person nah, around. That's an entourage. Yep. That is sure is. And I think that's pretty much it for this week. I'm going to be... Yeah, huge Intune release. But anyways, we'll save that for later. Yeah, because I'm going to be away next week. And maybe you're... I'll be as well. So next week you're going to pass. Yep. I'll be heading over to the UK again. uh, To the Microsoft Cloud user group in Manchester. And then TechUG in London. Oh, nice. Yep. Say hi to Mike for me. I will. I will. So we'll see if we can find the time to do anything next week, but maybe we can do um, separate interviews. Yeah. I'm going to bring this stuff to to the US. We'll see. Yep. We'll see. We will be on the same plane to Amsterdam. (laughs) Which is, yeah, good, good fun. Yep. We'll be back when we can. And until then, have a good one. Bye. Bye.